As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry, hear that vocal shouting, it's Dainer and Jay, it's Dainer all right, welcome into a special edition of Hear That Podcast, Growlin', presented by Visa Network, working for everyone. Paul Junior Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here, and uh, we, we've been teasing this probably too much, Jay. We've been, we have been teasing this quite a lot, uh, but it's because we're really excited to talk about this multi-part series that we are about to embark on here over the course of this dead period. Um, and Jay, you know, our, this idea kind of sparked from what, from what, what do we hear so much during the course of this Super Bowl run and the, the building of this team under Zach Taylor. And it's about relationships. It's about culture. It's about how much they have been able to find this synergy through all the relationships that they have inside of the building. And that a lot of that has started with the coaching staff. It's one thing to talk about that, Jay, but it's another thing to actually dive into those. What are they? Who are they? And that's what this is about. We are going to attempt to really go inside some of the relationships um, on this coaching staff in particular that have helped build this team and build a team that that made a run to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's not just taking a, a divergent path from the X's and O's and the wins and losses. I think it it's really important to to explore this angle of it because I do think – Number one, it's important. And number two, I think you guys want it. You, we've seen this leap in popularity. And yes, some of it's tied to the winning, but but the engagement on social media, it, it makes it apparent that, that you guys, the fans, are interested in who these guys are as people, not just as coaches, not just as players, um, not just as fantasy football commodities. You, you really want to know 
who these guys are. And it's not just who they are individually, but how they work together, how they interact and, and how that results in success on the field. And it's, you, we know some of it from talking to these guys in the locker room, kind of off the record type of stuff and just shooting the breeze with them. But this is, this is going to be great to really dive into that and see how these relationships click and, and how they drive this team. And we just want you to get to know these guys. I want to shout yeah. out um, last year, uh, Peter Schrager did flying coach and it was great. I, I loved it. Zach Taylor was on it. It was him and Sean McVay uh, essentially bringing in his buddies from around the league and they would talk football. They would tell stories. It was fantastic. It sparked an idea of doing something like that similarly with the Bengals. But then the more we thought about the idea, the more it was, God, there's so much to explore and not just getting to know these guys and tell stories, but how their relationship, you're learning so much about how their relationship has helped shape the direction of the franchise and will continue to shape the direction of the franchise. And that's why, you know, two on two is what you so often these things, it's, it's these every podcast, right? It seems like it's, there's so much, it's, it's one person off time. Well, this it's everyone is going to be myself and Jay, and then two other people uh, from inside the Bengals organization uh, talking about their relationship with each other, who they are, their backgrounds, telling stories, a lot of giving grief, I believe is going to be a part of this uh, and telling him as many uh, digging up some dirt and embarrassing stories as possible as through the course of this. But so as we go through and we're going to try to pick from all different sides in that the thread is relationships, uh, but the thread is some of these connections are ones that you wouldn't have thought of or some that aren't even inside of the mm-hmm. Bengals organization necessarily, but are still inspirational and had an impact in, in making that person who they are and making this team who they are. So at the end of each one of these, as we go through, we will promote and tell you what the next week's is going to be. And so you'll go on this fun journey with us as we go through uh, these next few weeks and uh, getting to know these people. And really, honestly, I can't think of anywhere else I would want to start. Um, and it's uh, one that you've heard from each of these people individually a lot on this podcast, on every on press conferences, across all the media that's that's around covering the Bengals. But I honestly can't think of very many times, if ever, I've heard them together. Um, and that's why I thought and, – and their relationship and them being together is as much at the core of this coaching staff and this offense and the direction of the franchise as any two people being together and has been since they arrived. And that is head coach Zach Taylor and offensive coordinator Brian Callahan today. And, Jay, no no shortage of stories between these two. It goes further back than you ever would have think. <laughs> visual uh, proof of that. Uh, visual proof. We, no, you'll notice we love visual evidence here in this series. We like making them react to it live. But it's perfect because we got our new YouTube channel now. Uh, please go and subscribe to it, and you can – watch and and see uh because really they're uh, watching a lot of uh the the reactions that you will see during some of these stories and um so, some other some other visual tricks that end up coming <laughs> into play during the course of this is great and and a big part of it and we're we're excited to have the YouTube thing going so we we've got that and and I think you'll I think you'll like some of the additions that you get uh by viewing the series too you know, I, I, you, you said it. I, you, we rarely hear from these guys 
at the same time. And I think back to that, we shared the booth with him at the senior bowl at Haberdashers and the stories that night that, that really, um, could have been the, the launching point for this, as opposed to even the flying coach podcast is they're, they're great together. They, they play off each other so well, and they always joke about sharing a brain, but, um, they do, they know each other so well and they relate so well. And I, I, I really think, people are going to enjoy this. I know sometimes on our pods, we'll put something at the end, a, a Bengals growler bet, a prediction. People might skip ahead a little bit. That's okay. If you do that, you're not going to want to skip ahead on this one to find out who's next. This is this is a really great way to kick this, this series off. Jay, drinks at the Senior Bowl. I don't know what you're talking about, Jay. These, these, I didn't say what kind of drinks. No, we're just we're just there just to, <laughs> to just to report on the team. I don't know what you're drinking. Do people drink at the Senior Bowl in the Combine? Does that happen? And we don't believe that. Uh, anyway, uh, so that's the series, and that's the basis of the series. And uh, we will take you through this, and uh, we're we're really excited about it. Uh, I think you're gonna like it. And I think without further ado, we should kick this baby off, right, Jay? Let's go. Let's do it. Here's uh, Zach and Brian. We cooked up this idea, Jay, a little bit about we hear so much about because every time these guys are in front of a microphone or podium are always talking about culture, are always talking about the relationships that helped build this team, that helped get it to the Super Bowl, and how much that was a part of things. And we thought... We need to learn more about those relationships, <laughs> you know, because I don't think that we've ever been able to really get into all of them and the individual ones and the ones that have been part of making this thing go. And really, I think when we talk about that, the one of the most important ones are the two people that have joined us here today with Zach and Brian. And you guys, I mean, thanks for doing this. You guys go so far back. When exactly was the first time that you guys came across each other? Probably spring break 2005. Yeah. Nebraska, about Nebraska right. Are we allowed park. to talk about spring break 2005 stories? or is that? A- <laughs> it, it, is when, uh, it is when I'm in spring ball and Brian is on spring break. And so his spring break is spent on the fields at Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, watching us have practice. So I think that was the first time we interacted with it. It wasn't like we were in Vegas or Cancun or anywhere like that. It was, it was on on, in Memorial Stadium, and he was watching his practice. 2005, 2006, it had to be one of those two years because those are the only two years I was playing. Yeah, that was it. It sounds way cooler about the details if you just say we met on spring break. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst spring break story ever right there. Uh. Uh, I went to go visit my dad. He had just uh, – he was at Nebraska, and his, he, I went home and for spring break because, I, you know, I was like on permanent spring break in college, so I lived in L.A., so I figured I'd go back to Nebraska and really <laughs> – enjoy the enjoy the the scenery in lincoln and so i would go hang out and watch spring ball and that was probably the first time we we came across each other i mean you guys both come from from these these football family backgrounds how how much do you think that is bonded you guys in the early days when you first met yeah probably quite a bit i think coaches kids tend to flock together you know and and my dad got out of coaching eventually but you still um he was still friends with with all the coaching buddies he had, and so we spent a lot of times in the locker rooms, the Oklahoma games, and practices, and spring balls. And so I kind of grew up that way. And and I know Brian's you know well traveled, and uh, Brian and my wife probably have more in common than myself and Brian do to an extent. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a, a lot of it's a, there's a lot of things that, that 
you end up doing as a coach's kid that only so so many people have done before, you know, and you, you're attracted to those same kind of qualities and things like that. Um, shared experiences, I guess, if you will. So I'm sure we've got we've got plenty of those over our years. And like I said, his wife's probably got the most of them. We, we've had very similar paths, I think, because we grew up with our dads the way they, their careers progressed. I was uh, speaking of uh, your wife, Zach. We were informed about a uh, one of the first times you guys met and hung out was was you and uh, the two of you and Cliff Kingsbury running an Oklahoma youth camp, getting filthy rich, making a thousand dollars? Is that uh, can anybody confirm uh, what happened at this camp? Yeah, I think your score is a little screwed up. I think I lost a thousand dollars at the camp. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was the uh, what do we call it, Brett? The Huddle Up Quarterback Academy. That's right. That was uh, and huddle, huddle was a that was one of their first major sponsors. Was our <laughs> our quarterback camp and then uh, they took over the world after that but uh, we got them started that yeah, was so well, you guys did this what, what what exactly happened i mean you it was just the th- just the three of you guys and no. using oklahoma or no so i had this great i was a ga at texas a&m uh my friends at the time you know that didn't work for texas a&m were, were kind of guys that played college quarterback i'd met cliff because we were in the cfl i knew brian um just from our connections he, i think you're he was either at UCLA, he's probably at UCLA at the time, maybe as a GA. Yeah. Uh, we had another buddy, Nick Holtz, who was a GA at Stanford. Um, who else? My brother was playing at Marshall. I'm trying to think who else. Brian Thebod uh, played at Houston, and he was coaching at uh, Brenham High School. Austin Flynn played quarterback at Iowa State. He was at Grandview uh, University in Iowa. So anyway, I had this, this great plan where I'm going to fly in all these buddies of mine that played college quarterback to Norman <laughs> High School. I'm going to get them hotel rooms, pay for their food and their flights. Uh, we're going to charge these kids a hundred bucks or something for, for three days. And we're going to make so much money because of the star power we're bringing this camp. And like on the day of check-in, we had like 14 kids signed up and we had like 10 walk-ups. And, and I, I, there's no doubt in my mind the first year I lost money because uh, we made up. I still have the t-shirt. I don't know if Brian does, but. Uh, we got staff t-shirts, we got staff pictures and, and my, one of my closest friends in college, uh, started this company called huddle H-U-D-L and anybody who's got a kid in any sort of athletics, uh, knows what huddle is. Well, in 2008 huddle was nothing. And so to get Dave to sponsor these shirts and film the drills for us so that we could then coach the drills and upload them online and the kids could go in there and find themselves and hear the coaching. It was really a tremendous concept, I swear. I lost money over two years. I had no money to lose, but I lost money. Uh, but but to this day, we still have a lot of really good memories of, um, you know, probably closest with Brian and, and Nick Holtz, uh, who's at the Raiders, what, the last 10 years, Brian? Yeah. Uh, now he's at UNLV. But, uh, you know, so – and my brother, of course. But, uh, yeah, some really good memories from those times. Drinking a lot of, uh, I think, Michelob Ultras over there at one of those campus bars and <laughs> – and it was, you know, we really screwed up because we're, we're young and, and uh, uh, you know, hey, we're going to fly these guys in. We're all 25 years old or whatever it is, and we're going to be in Norman. It's going to be hot. It was like a Sunday night. You know? so, <laughs> Sunday night so there's nothing open. There's nobody on campus. I think there's probably eight of us. My mom dropped us off at one of those bars down there on campus corner in Norman. My mom shuttled us in her Suburban and uh, picked us up. So it was a real happening. I think the highlight, the highlight of the weekend was the pool basketball at one point. That yeah. was really a big pool basketball game. And 
this, the competitive juices started going amongst all these young 25 <laughs> year old former division one athletes. And then that, it got pretty, got pretty good there for a while. And we had to play, we had to play in the Taylor's home court, which really wasn't fair. They obviously grow up playing that way. So the, the Taylor brothers are beating everybody up and down. It was fun. It was a fun, uh, it was a fun camp. <laughs> was it, were fouls called or was this an, was this just a straight street ball? Knock them out. Like that's uh, just the deal. 21 is, is pool ball down at the Hartshawks house uh, of Cynthia circle in Norman. Uh, well known down in that area. Well known. Yeah. Football, man. There's there's no fouls in twenty one. So the strongest man wins. <laughs> that's you know that's just, I think it's kind of the point. I mean, you guys go go all the way that far back. I mean, and and you come from these football families. I guess it was only natural that you guys you know would 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 gravitate towards each other. I do want to point out your playing careers were obviously very very uh, different. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I just, I, I, you know, Zach, obviously you were a big 12 player of the year in Nebraska Hall of Fame, uh, all those things. Um, I have, I have a picture. We have a picture of you. You, you didn't look all that intimidating, um, <laughs> necessarily. Do you have that picture cam? Uh, that's, yeah. that, I mean, that's, yeah. those are like, that's pretty good right there. Shout out Norman hey. transcript for, uh, yeah, but the guy, the guy, number 80. He was yeah. a four-year starter at Oklahoma as the deep snapper, Jacob Rice. Yeah, um, sixty-seven was he. He was my guard my junior year, and he was my center my senior year. William Kenny, I think he works for a ski company up in up in Utah or Colorado now. So those, those are two big big dudes who were big time back in high school. So um, I compare nicely right in between them. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I always love looking back at the pictures, like the size of the shoulder pads back in the day, just yeah. really kind of engulfed you guys. But I, I, I liked, I liked that. Now, uh, on the other side, I just want to point out. I just looked up um, just a couple of quotes about your career, Brian. Uh, and not many. <laughs> oh, oh, but there are. And so, <laughs> so uh, the Daily Bruin in two thousand and two. Um, as this line is what happens, but at a school that has recruited and developed quarterbacks like Troy Aikman, Tommy Maddox, and Cade, McC- Cade, Mc- Cade McNown, Callahan will be lucky if he even steps on the field. <laughs> hey, it could happen. <laughs> Quote, you never know. There's always that chance, Callahan said. It's like dumb and dumber when it's one in a million. And Jim Carrey goes, so you're saying there's a chance. I got to shout out that like even then, you're going all the way dumb and dumber when they're asking you about your chance. You know, respect. Respect yeah, for that. I, I kind of knew my limitations. I... um. <laughs> I didn't have any any delusions of grandeur about what kind of player I was ever going to be, but uh, I just decided I I took the chance to walk out of the school and see if I could earn a scholarship as opposed to playing at a smaller school. And uh, I would like to be I like it to be noted that I did do that. Um, but you know, Zach may have been the Big Twelve Player of the Year, but I he's never had the pressure of holding for fifty yard field goal. I know that That's he true. didn't do that. So, uh, I th- I can hold I can hold like no other. That was my strength. I held for a right footed and left footed kicker. So um, uh, you guys can take that one to the bank. I, I just I just have one. We're, we're, we've got more there. Uh, I've got one more on. Uh, this is the L.A. Times in two thousand three, talking to you. And this quote existed from your coach at De La Salle. Them asking about you, and he said. Uh, he could have started a lot of high schools. He was a consummate team player, but as soon as we got our leads, we would put Brian in. <laughs> what a quote! What a quote! As what soon as we got our leads, we put Brian in. 
Yeah, the, what's the coach's name? Bob Lattister. Bob, Bob Lattister. Uh, he, Brian, Brian mentions him still to this day to our players. He, he puts yeah. up quotes from, from his high school coach all the time. He's, he's one of the greatest coaches that's probably ever coached in, in any sport. Uh, but yeah, I was just, uh, that was my, I was a big garbage time guy, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, Matt Gutierrez went to Michigan. Yeah. So yeah nice. He was a four. Uh, it wasn't like we were backing out, you know, whoever, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I went to Michigan right in front of you. But I, uh, you know, him, I, I came in with it with Matt Gutierrez and he, you know, he was a big time high school prospect and, um, I could have transferred and, and probably played at a couple of schools locally. And I just was like, you know what? I kind of like going to school here. And it was more, that was more for me. And I didn't really care about the rest of it at the end of the day. So um, I just kind of stayed there and just got lots of garbage time and good quotes about getting thrown <laughs> in the end of games. <laughs> well, the, the great yeah, thing. How many games in a row did you guys win? Uh, 151. <clears throat> yeah, wow. Yeah. And the great thing about garbage time is they still film garbage time. And thanks to your friend, Paul Garanya at De La Salle, we have some high school film. I'd like Zach to critique. <laughs> there it is. Look at this. So yeah, agile. Look at that. That's pretty so good. agile. Oh, take, yeah. And that, and That's that, like good. not the end there, but. <laughs> look at this. Oh yeah. Act like you've been there before. Right, Brian? <laughs> That's right. No reaction. Go hit That's somebody. Right. Yeah, <laughs> watch this block. That's probably illegal now. I do like the aggression. You're just like I'm looking. I'm looking to hit. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. just ruthless. Just midline option. You guys have. I mean, who who runs a midline option anymore? You know. <laughs> I, I also Great love stuff. the fact that th this whole it was your season long uh, highlight clip and. So many of those plays ended like that with them fading out just to go on to the next game. We didn't get to actually see the end of your runs. Yeah, there, wasn't, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't a whole, I, it wasn't like I was running for 60 yard touchdowns. Like those 20 yard runs get old after a while, you know? Yeah. That, that bad, like fade when it twists to go on to the next game, just all of a sudden yeah. takes away the end of the run. You guys I, noticed there wasn't a whole lot of throwing there, right? I played quarterback. And there was no throws on that tape. I only found one and it was a holder grabbing a bad snap and throwing a two point conversion but I wasn't sure if I couldn't see the number well enough to know it was you and you did say you no. held so no in fact you know who that was that was the guy who, it was Nick Holtz he was the holder when okay. we were in high school I went to high school with Nick Holtz um, and yeah that was probably him that's incredible well I he mean was I, great, he was a great holder at Colorado that happened to lose several times to Nebraska over the course of <laughs> <laughs> I want to I want to move on to something that I know that you guys talked a lot about when when you guys were both first hired and that was like the, these these breakfasts at the combine when you guys kind of would get back together and talk ball and things like that. I'm curious like, what were those like? I mean, what was that just a hey, how you been? What's going on? Or was that like plays on the napkin philosophy? I mean, what what were most of those like for you guys? I don't recall breakfast necessarily uh get togethers at the combine at whatever maybe around nachos, maybe it was morning uh, 11 30 at night nachos um <laughs> no it was you know th those were those are the times you really connect with guys around the league that's it it's a combine maybe a pro day uh maybe 20 minutes on the field before you play Th those are the three times that you're going to connect with people maybe you worked with in the past or new in the past and so um, you know, oftentimes when the, the meetings, I guess, was that how it used to work back then, huh? We, we'd meet with the players 
usually done about 11 o'clock. <clears throat> so everyone's flocking to the same general areas before you go to bed. And, and uh, that's your chance to, I mean, I remember sitting with Brian at Champs Sports Bar or something in the booth with you and Adam Gase and, yep. and talking about Broncos seven on seven, you know, and just telling <laughs> stories. I, I wouldn't say it's a lot of X's and O's necessarily. It's more like you guys won't believe what happened to us this year in week eight when we were playing Denver. You know what I mean? It's, it's more of that kind of stuff. And, uh, but it's those are definitely good times that, that you look forward to. Yeah, I'd say probably more of the football conversations would come when we were crossing over with opponents over the course of a season or uh, when he was in Miami and I was in Denver. And we, we you know, we were working a week or two ahead on some things. And then all of a sudden you go, hey, what did you think of, of these guys? And what did you guys have that you liked? Did you have anything you didn't call? You know. Just trying to catch catch some 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 idea somewhere that that may help you against a team that that we have common interest in, in trying to beat. So um, that's probably we have more scheme when you get to those. But the combines, you know, probably not as much of that. Um, really, so many conversations we had that I called Brian uh, when I was in Miami and Denver was trying to get him to explain things that we're doing now. To be quite honest with you, you know, yeah. it's it's these concepts and. Um, they've worked well for us now, but back then in 2012, 13, 14, we were trying to explore what, what is Peyton Manning doing? What's he reading? And, um, so much that we do today is, is really started with a lot of those conversations back then. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You guys have these amazing memories. I'm curious what those years when you, before 2019, when you weren't on the same staff, do you guys know what your record is against each other? I would say through this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, and one when we played Denver. Yeah. Uh, one and one when we beat you guys Monday night football in Oakland. Never played against you in Detroit. I think it's probably one and one regular season That's, games. Yes, that was it. Was the season opener of the 2018 season when you guys were down yeah. 13 10 at half and came back and won 33 13. Brian, Brian and the Broncos won 39 36 in 2014 against the Dolphins. Yeah, sure did. Peyton Manning. Yeah, yeah it, was, uh, <laughs> it was a rough feeling when he gets in two minute and he's got the ball there at the end of the game. It's it's, uh, it's pretty, felt pretty hopeless at the time. Hanging up 36 on the Denver defense is nothing to be ashamed yeah. of, though. I think our receivers were about to die after the game. They were, we only had four of them. And, you know, the thin air up there, they were hardline, man. He was he was gasping for air there at the end of that game. But uh, the Monday night game, we actually played him in a preseason game, I think, two weeks before that. So yeah. he played, we played preseason game three against Oakland, and then we had to turn around Monday night football and play him. So it was, it was – that's kind of one of the – 
things that led to LA not playing starters in preseason games was was mainly because mm-hmm. of that. Because normally you're going to play them a lot in preseason game three. Well, we were going to play the Raiders two weeks later, so let's not mess with these guys. Let's keep it super vanilla and play all the back end guys. And and so ultimately, that that's one of the reasons I think why Sean doesn't play his starters at all is because of that matchup we had. When um. When does most of the brainstorming happen for you guys? When you when do you kind of you guys sit back and and think kind of I don't know if creatively is the right word, but just think really wide open about directions that you guys head. Is that does that happen at the end of the season? Do you guys sit down and do that? Is that something you know you're going to do or is that just something that just happens organically over time? Uh, not necessarily right after the season. No, it's uh, football. I try to get football out of the brain there for a little bit. It turns to personnel. So it's more really this time of year. And, you know, Brian can speak more to some of the projects he's done of just going through and watching other teams. Um, sometimes organically, like you said, it might in training camp, you might all of a sudden this concept that you didn't spend a lot of time on in the spring becomes a good deal for you. And so you start exploring more ways to expand that or practice that more or, some ideas that pop off of that because you need some compliments, but um, so it, it can happen really, you know, over the course of the late off season to, to training camp. Yeah, that's probably about right. I mean, I, I spent usually part of the early off season kind of mixed in with all the draft work. I usually find a handful of studies around the league to do red zone studies, third down studies, play action study, you know, whatever, see who's doing good things. And you just you use that a little bit for inspiration. And then you, as you go back through all the things that, that we've done well and didn't do well and where we're trying to improve, um, you start trying to think of ways that, that you can implement some new ideas, some fresh ideas. Some of it's trying to refine what you do well and then other parts of it, you know, you're trying to find ideas that, that may help you uh, score a few more touchdowns. I know your philosophy's really evolved over time probably. I would assume. I mean, the whole league has. Obviously, you guys have. Uh, how much does like – how much has it evolved from where you thought it would be when you guys first came here together? You guys had a vision of what it would be like for you guys to work together. Cause I mean, people, maybe people may not know that, that you guys never really actually really worked together before, even though you come across each other so much, you probably had still had a vision of, of what you guys thought it would look like. What, how different is that now? And maybe what was, was there a time over this three plus year period that really sparked some of the biggest changes that, that really sent you in a different direction? Well, I, I would say <clears throat> we came from the same tree, you know, the, the, if you want to call it the, the branch we came off of was the John Gruden, Bill Callahan tree. And he was working for John Gruden when I, when I hired him, um, Sean McVay obviously is, is off of that too. Greg Olson had left our staff in LA to go to Oakland and be the coordinator um, and, and try to try his best to bring some of the Ram stuff, I'm sure, to, to the to the Raiders because it had evolved a little bit. So we, we were – it's a constant crossover of um, what our identities had been. You know, there were things in Miami and guys I worked for that were a little bit different schematically. Uh, Brian, you know, he can speak about Denver and probably how that much that affected him with, with those guys up there. But – um, we never really strayed too far apart schematically over the courses of our careers because the initial part was so similar. Um, so it made it pretty easy to get together and, and be on the same page very quickly. Yeah, I, and I came from I had a, I had that background from from Gruden and my dad from when I was younger too. I'd always watch those that type of offense go in, and 
Um, you know, I shared some some time with Gary Kubiak in Denver, who, you know, is still part of that same tree with the, the more of the Shanahan version of it. So I had that background as well. That that, uh, and then most of my career though was in is in the Indianapolis offense as an NFL coach. That Peyton Manning offense and and all the years in Indy, and then we had it in Denver uh, when did he brought to us, and that's where I learned part of that and. Um, I'd had some New England influence early in my career, so I've, I've had a pretty wide scope of, of the major offenses around the league, um, but my definite major uh, was that Indianapolis version of the offense that was brought to Denver that we kind of made our own. Uh, used it very much in Detroit uh, with, with Jim Bob Cooter, who uh, I was with, and he was in Indianapolis for a long time. He was in Denver, and then uh, he was in Detroit with them. And so a lot of different scheme that that ultimately uh, when we sat down and got here, we decided to, how are we going to make this, you know, what's what's the what's our offense going to be? What are we going to what's Cincinnati's offense going to look like when it steps on the field? And uh, we used a lot of the influences from from ball, all the systems we've been around um, to try to make the best system we could make for for our players here. And I think that we've done a really good job of, of that over the last uh, couple of years. And it's evolved as, as you get new types of players and guys uh, do really well in different roles and do run certain routes really well. You try to highlight and feature those things. And I think we've done a good job of that. But uh, at the end of the day, we, we see football very similarly because we come from a lot of the same uh, philosophies of, of offensive football. And then 2019, you finally get a chance to, to put it into action and it, it doesn't quite go the way you guys had hoped. Was, was there any, was there a low point? Yeah. <laughs> was there, were there, was there a low point or anything that kind of maybe shook that and, and maybe had you guys thinking, going in a different direction or uh, abandoning the philosophy a little bit? Well, there were some things that, that were proven difficult, you know, and, um, you know, I don't think shift philosophy wise, but maybe some things that we thought were going to be primary focuses of our offense in 2019, you know, faded away and were replaced by some other stuff. I wouldn't say losing hope. No, we, we knew where we could be. We knew it wasn't going to be an overnight thing. And, and that's just the way it goes sometimes. And, um, you're certainly hoping for for from patient for patience from the organization, which which we got, and uh, just because they had an understanding of what we were trying to do. But um, yeah, this this doesn't matter what your vision is and what your expectations are when you're when you're only twelve. It's <laughs> only eleven. Uh, oh, and whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there there's. I mean, I think the first time Brian we ever changed a, added a play was on a, on a Sunday morning. It was in London when we played the Rams. Um, yeah. you know, usually the plan's pretty well set, but man, we were 0 and 8 at the time and we just needed to figure out how to get a first down. And so we <laughs> added, you know, some short yardage plays on Sunday morning and got yeah. with a couple of players in the locker room and they worked, thank God. But, uh, yeah, there was, there were some tough, tough days there. Some really late nights, some really late Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Um, just, just trying to score some points. Yeah, I got, uh, it was, it was some dark moments that first year. I'd, I'd never, <laughs> I don't think any of us had ever been to a point where we, we were 0 for 11 and, and staring down a, a really poor record at the end of the season. I mean, we've, I've had poor records, but that was uh, barreling towards the end of the season with no wins was was a really, really uh, bad feeling overall, obviously. But just something I'd never encountered in my professional career to where things had gone so poorly to where you do. You, you think about what is it? Is this going to work the way we think it's going to? Um, but you, you maintain the faith that you believe in what you're doing. And I thought we did believe in what we were doing. We believed our system was going to be good uh, and we just needed to keep, keep adding to the team and building and getting pieces in place that would make it that way. And um, yeah, I think we've, we've seen the fruits of that labor now, but it, mm -hmm. it certainly took some time and a lot of teaching and a lot of reps and a lot of acquisition 
um, to get to where we are. And I think we're excited about how much further we can take it. I mean, during that season, what was there a point where you felt like you did see the uh, even a glimmer of the light at the end of the tunnel in during one of those late nights saying, man, I it feels like I we're moving in the right direction with this, this, this and this. Or, or did you not even feel like you necessarily saw as much as you wanted to at, at that point? Or, or was there something? Well, I, I think the difficulties in that year were you, you lose your number one receiver, a guy you're really going to be counting on. And, and so, uh, you know, there's the saying, those who know, know. You know, we, we knew halfway through the season it was going to be tough to continue mm-hmm. to go. And, and I remember even Andy Dalton in my office after games, you know, God, we just got to be so perfect all the time. It's, it's a hard way to live. And, and now we're at the point we don't have to be perfect all the time. Brian, Brian and I don't have to have the perfect play on, on a play for it to work. You know, it's, we have guys that, um, you know, now have just been in the system with us a couple of years um, and added some really new explosive playmakers that, that make our life a lot easier. That's for sure. And, um, we, but we don't ever forget, you know, some of the, the trials that we faced back then. <laughs> uh, Brian, what is Zach like on a headset? Uh, really, I, I mean, he, he's probably one of the calmest guys that I've been around, um, on a headset, truthfully um, has his moments where all of a sudden you feel like he's, he's losing his mind and, and he'll, he'll be like, Nope, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm good. Don't worry about it. You got, got it. Good. But there, he'll be giving the official the business somewhere and we're trying to get ready for the next play. And, and you can tell he's totally in control. So. Uh, there's some funny moments on headsets, but I, I would say ours, especially uh, offensively, are uh, are very, very clear, very concise. There's not a lot going on on our headsets, uh, as opposed to some of the other places I've been and other coaches I've been around. Um, they can get pretty lively, but I would say ours are ours are, are relatively calm, I think, and it's probably because that's how Zach's demeanor is uh, the course of the game. Well, the problem I have sometimes is Brian Pitch and Sam Francis. Sometimes they always sound the same. And maybe it's just the stadium we're in and the type of, I don't know what it is, but I, sometimes I just have to ask, who is saying that? You know, who, who am I talking to right now? You know, just to try to get some context of where this is coming from. So that, that's probably the number one thing that I face is just trying to decipher what voice I'm hearing. Um, who, are we allowed to talk about who some of the liveliest people from your guys past on headsets have been? Is that Are we allowed to divulge names there? We're not talking about that side of the ball today. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Uh, so, well, we'll save that. We'll save that for uh, for for Lou and and Terrell Williams. We'll save that for <laughs> that conversation. Um, I, I, you know, I, I do think that's how much happens on there that changes everything during a game. Is there are there headset conversations that that change the course of a game between you guys, or is it or is it just a quick recall or noting? stuff that you guys talked about during the week or a suggestion maybe we should how does that dynamic between you guys on game day on headset work to be to to be beneficial in that moment is it is it just a natural thing or or how how does that work it's a good question I don't even know how to answer is that. that cuz there's no all. answer to it oh. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, you have to just experience a game I think to, yeah. to even know what's talked about um you know, Brian, Brian's really the number one voice that I hear on there, you know, and um, and it starts as simple as him giving me the down and distance and the defensive personnel that's in the game. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. And then um, at times recommendations, at times I maybe got two or three plays in my head and I'm throwing it to him and hey, which one do you think works here? And uh, 
Other times, maybe asking him for, hey, think about this down the road, the next third and two to five. Um, I'll be focused on normal downs. I need you to give me the next two to five call or the next red zone, whatever it is. Um, kind of giving him a task down the road, just anticipating that situation rising. Maybe we've struggled there. Maybe we've done so well there that we've we've run out of our scheme and, and what do we need to repeat there? Um, so there, there's there's a lot of different things that can come up on this uh, where, where I'm asking for, for help from Brian or Brian's giving me some feedback on something or, or it's coming from somebody else. Yeah, and the way I always approach it up for the way I, for our role upstairs is that you know, I, I don't have to be as dialed into everything that's happening in the exact moment. Like, like I can look ahead to the next. I can look back at pictures from third downs because I have everything sitting in front of me. And so um, I can take a look three third downs ago and make sure that this something was right in between series. Or I can I can make sure the protection squared away on something that came up uh, on a third down. And I, I can talk to those guys upstairs and then I can work forward to whatever the next series are, um, having thoughts and ideas for Zach. And part of that is just being ready with, you know, when he says, hey, what do you what do you like here? I have something that I like there, you know, uh, that that can be easily communicated between us. And I think the biggest part on game day, though, for us, that makes it effective is that we spend so much time during the week talking about all these things. And so there's not a lot of things that happen over the course of a game that are that are ultimately surprising. Um, the plan's pretty well set and pretty well prepared. And uh, you pivot when you have to and when things come up or something is dramatically different. But um, I think part of that is we, we have a lot of these conversations before the game starts and you know, you're working through these, especially leading up to like Friday, Saturday night, uh, when you're talking through the, how the game's going to go. And, you know, you have those conversations with Joe and we're all sort of on the same page about how we're going to play that game. Uh, you're always ready to change. But I think part of that game day communication is great because we, we have it during the week, too, that we're all on the same page. Well, whether it's in the the, the flow of the game or, like you said, the the conversations a few days before the game do you guys have any examples of maybe a play call you've come up with that that you thought it was going to be great it's just going to kill it's going to do great and it ended up being the complete opposite it was just a total disaster that happens all the time I feel like. <laughs> I think, I think that first, yeah baltimore here at home that first year you know we got all these man beaters dialed up and, and we're having a hard time getting off the line of scrimmage you know and uh quarterback's running for his life so yeah there's some things that on paper look really good versus that coverage and and uh, then you get out there on the field and they become a little more difficult to execute right I don't know if there's a play that necessarily stands out I'm thinking of like a, a hit or a halo or something we ran that first year but yeah uh, yeah I, yeah there's there's lots of <laughs> lots of really good plays that you can have when you can you know if you could protect for eight seconds and there's yeah. no pass rush and nobody blitzes you there's all kinds of good stuff uh, it all changes a little bit when when that part gets added into it. Uh, uh, the first play of the Jets game in 2019, we should have scored. We thought we were going to score. We were hoping for the coverage. We got the coverage, and then it's just you know one detail is just slightly off, and your second ten as opposed to being up seven nothing. You know, um, so there, there's just there's moments like that all the time. Do you guys like that? Uh, like put in one of your favorite plays first and ten first drive. Do you like to do that? I mean, outside of you know the aggression in Seattle, your first game as a coach, <laughs> uh, you know th- those first couple drives. But I mean, like, do you like doing that? Is that f- like philosophically, or is that do you say like saving some of your favorite plays? I oh, know you you don't need to save your favorite plays. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's when, when the moment comes, you, you get after them. And, yeah, um, yeah. So it's whether it's early, it's mid, it's late. You know, there, there's certainly things that you're maybe waiting to make sure you're going to get the right structure of the defense or see how your guys are, are playing up front before you want to call it. So there, there's certain 
certainly things you got kind of um, noted for the second half, likely. Um, and then there's things you want to get off the ground early in the game. You know, I can I think Cleveland, our second year, we took a shot to AJ, you know, on that Thursday night game right out the gate on a deep ball. Maybe that was the first play of the game, I think. You know, and so there, there's games you go into and you want to be aggressive and there's other games you want to go into and kind of maybe feel them out a little bit more. All right, let's just take a quick break. Speaking of yeah. favorite plays, I, I asked Brian this earlier in the week. I'm curious to get your take, Zach. Um, you look back the Super Bowl. Is, is is there one play, good or bad, that just has stuck with you the most since walking off the field that day or that night? Every bad play. Every, every bad play. <laughs> every bad play. <laughs> yeah. so, Are there any good ones you know, that stand out? Any what? Any good ones that stand out for a particular reason? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought there was a lot of things our guys executed really well, you know, and, and uh, put us in a position to do some good things. And it's, it's the Super Bowl is two really good teams. And, and ultimately, they made one more play than we did. And so that, that's just the reality of it. And, and the feelings that we have leaving that game and, and, and we didn't win it. And for whatever reasons why, um, you know that the, there's a lot of other teams around the league that lost the playoffs in very similar manners that they think that way. Mm-hmm. And it haunts them. It wasn't the Super Bowl necessarily, but when I'm at the league meetings, I see these other coaches and I'm picturing kind of what their mindset is in the offseason. It's, it's very similar to, to ours. They just uh, maybe lost the divisional round or, or the conference, whatever it was. But but um, it's hard when you're not the team that wins it all. I, I think it, everything haunts you for the entirety of the offseason. And then you buckle up and you get ready to go after it again. And, and next offseason, there's going to be 31 teams that are haunted by a whole lot of things that mm-hmm. they wish would have gone differently. And, uh, that's just life in this NFL. I mean, we, we were I, we were talking about this earlier today uh, about how somebody said something like, "Oh, you haven't really had a normal season off season as a coach." And I was like, "But what is a normal off season as a coach?" I mean, every off season seems to have something. Now, it has been particularly uh, interesting for you, but like, how unique has this one been? I mean, you had the late run. You had, yeah. you, you know, you've you, it, it's unique in its own way. Whether it was COVID or whether it was Burroughs rehab or whether it was all these other things that you've had. This one's really unique and challenging in its own way too. Has that been challenging for you guys? Do you feel like you're almost charting, having to chart a new course? We've made a lot probably of the offseason program, but I mean, like, did you feel like you guys had to sit down and kind of chart a little bit? How is this different? How, how do we approach this offseason maybe differently than others? Or has it kind of still felt the same? Just pushed back a little bit, but we still try to accomplish all the same things that we normally would accomplish. So maybe, maybe just on a little different timeline push it back a little bit. You know, normally we'd start this in February and instead we're going to start it in March. Uh, But you're still getting the same work done. You still have the same priorities. I agree. You you can make the excuse that, that these off seasons have all been different. Um, But, but maybe that's just the new reality of what off seasons are going to look like going forward. And so, yeah, it's not the same as it was 10 years ago, but it may be the same as it's going to be for the next 10 years. And so you just got to get used to it and um, just get your work done and, and get your guys ready as best you can. I mean, it's really, it's from, really crazy. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. I just said for not being the, you know, Zach's in charge of getting everything organized and all the thought that goes into how you structure the days and all that. But when I, for me, when you get the schedule, it's just two weeks, two weeks later. And, and we're still trying to get all the same things done and all the same uh, install progressions done and all the practice work done. It, it doesn't feel any different uh, from that perspective when it just comes to going out and doing what an offseason program is, which is getting some practice guys are working out and you're, and you're installing your offense that that part's felt relatively normal. Um, 
as opposed to just it's a little bit shorter. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's 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 really unique, you know, is just the continuity that you guys have on your staff. Obviously, with everybody still being here. I mean, Brian, you you had the interview uh, with Denver this past year. Zach, you you talked at one point about how when you were in LA, you thought Sean was was really good at keeping the coaches it understanding what he's thinking and being ready for what they're going to think when they're either in an interview or when they're a head coach. I was curious, how have you guys kind of approached that topic here as far as, have you done some of similar things that Sean has done or, or how have you guys kind of approached that project as, as Brian, now you're starting to get the deserved looks uh, for, for head coaching jobs. Well, I, I think uh, what was unique about Sean was just, he was just an open book all the time. And so yeah, there were isolated conversations where he was, giving you information that might be helpful in the future, but uh, he's just so open about what he was going through and in situations he was dealing with on a daily basis that maybe, um, maybe 10, 20, 30, last 30 years, coaches didn't really do head coaches were more, you know, kept or had their one or two people that they confided in. Um, I think he was just more open with everybody. So everybody felt like we understood everything that was going on on a daily basis, why we're doing it, the situations the head coach is facing, um, you know, and so he, he was really open with all those relationships and situations. And so um, I try to be that way as best I can here, um, probably as much with Brian as anybody else, just because we work together on the offense side of the ball. And um, so I can't say that there's any specific conversations we've had to had, you know, getting ready for the future because he's just he's with me. I don't know what Brian, eight hours a day, it feels like, so, you know, it's, it's just like but through osmosis, you know, he, he knows what it's like to be the head coach. I just the the thing that's been that's helpful that was helpful for me when I went into that experience this year was um, over the course of the last three years that Zach's been the same way that that he described Sean. I don't know what Sean was like, um, but he's but Zach's been open and he's had uh, lots of conversations about things that go on that maybe like I said maybe at certain places around the league or certain guys wouldn't share with people that they work with. But um, Zach's been really open about everything that happens and, and how decisions get made and what the thought process is and you know. And he's willing to share those and we talk about them and whether it's not directly preparing me for anything, it's more just we're just working together. And these are the things that come up and we have conversations about them. And sometimes he'll ask for an opinion and sometimes um, you just need to talk about it because as a head coach, there's a lot of things that come across your desk that, you know, if you're not aware of it, you'd have no idea. And Zach's been really open about some of the things that, that go on and, and how he handles them. So like I said, whether it's preparation for anything other than, just getting getting the best out of what we have here, you know, that's what it is. But uh, he's been really open with all the things that, that go across the head coach's desk, and I've tried to take as much of it as possible. When when you talk about, I mean, you guys have been spent so much time together, osmosis, eight hours a day. It's, you know, is there Brian? Does Zach ever surprise you when he says something? Like, is there ever a moment where you're like, "Wow, I didn't see that one coming," or is it then now at the point where it's like everything is very predictable? Um. I, predictable is probably a bad word. Uh, I don't know the predictable, but there's there's certainly a, a level of uh, of expectation and consistency that that Zach always brings. And so uh, there's very little that you know when I look at how would Zach look at this or what Zach going to say about this. I have a pretty good idea uh, of what direction he's likely to go with it. And, and occasionally uh, it's different than what I would think, and that's uh, part of what what makes him unique is, is he does he thinks things through in a really thorough manner. And so I just to sort of tend to believe that whenever something like that comes, comes up, that it's going to be just about what I would think he would, whatever he was going to say, seems like something I think he would say, if that makes sense. Um, 
but it's yeah there's not that's part of what makes that great is his consistency and his, and his demeanor and so a lot of the things that that come up are things that that are, are expected to for me at least don't bend around them as much as i have yeah, well, i was going to ask you guys if, together <laughs> <laughs> i was going to ask if you guys is have we set a record for the the longest conversation you guys have had without being asked about or talking about joe burrow <laughs> Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you guys have both been around a lot of quarterbacks. Is obviously everybody talks about how different he is as a as a guy, as a leader. In in terms of coaching him, what's what's the biggest difference in, in coaching Joe Burrow than maybe the other quarterbacks you guys have worked with? Well, you hate to say that because other quarterbacks you work with could watch things, so you, you never <laughs> want to say say anything like that. But um, I, I think what what He's always very prepared. So he walks in that day and he's, he's seen probably what you're about to watch. Um, the new stuff you're going to give him usually makes pretty good sense to him. He doesn't hesitate to ask questions, you know, and, and ask for further explanation. Whereas some guys in the NFL just period will, will yes sir, you to death that they understand when they really don't. And I think that's what's really good about him is he'll give you the honest feedback that you want. And so um, that's good. And, and I mean, I think what great quarterbacks do is they make those around them better. They get the full potential out of everyone else, whether it's everyone feels like the standards have been raised and they have to match what the quarterback's doing um, because he's so prepared and he's so hardworking that we got to get to his level. Um, but at the same time, he's, he's, you know, um, they can feel, it, it might not even be with words, but the, his demanding of get on my level, mm-hmm. you know, so we can, on this and, and it doesn't have to be done in words it can be done just through actions and I think he's really really special that way and um, you know that's 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 probably how a lot of the great ones are your Peyton experience was was valuable with with that Brian right I mean just it, I mean how much has that did that affect you when you start dealing with somebody with Burrow who has I mean even realistic expectations to to be like that it's really helpful to have seen what it looks like for a guy going at that point was was his last four years of, of football at going into 18 years of, of playing in the NFL. And there's a perspective that comes with that. Um, there's a, a learning process that comes with that. And you, you see how he got to the points over the course of his career, uh, how he sees defenses, how he sees his preparation, uh, the intensity that he goes about his job because he knows – uh, the window is limited and he knows how much urgency is required. Um, and to see somebody do that and uh, he knows what it takes to play at that level, you know, there's only, there's only so many guys that can have that kind of laser focus all the time. Um, and to see that and see a lot of similar traits in Joe, uh, when we first started the interview process with him for the, for the draft and to see how he's developed and, and um, how he's developed his processes and what he thinks about football and how he sees it. Uh, really beneficial to have been with Peyton because, um, you know, there's probably arguably, you know, only very few guys that were ever better than him at the position and, uh, and preparing to play the position. And I think that's uh, something I've tried to impart on Joe. And I think he's, you know, sort of naturally that way as it is, but um, there's a huge benefit to be around someone like Peyton for four years uh, and be able to be around a young player that, that has a lot of the same potential. I want to, I want to give you guys a chance to respond to a criticism that's I, I have seen and heard. Um, and it was that 
you know, it, you guys have talked about the number of hits on him in, in a lot of ways. Some of them being it being overrated on some of how some of that has happened. But one thing that people don't don't like, they feel like you guys were were too lax when you talk about the amount of hits that Burrow took and thought that sometimes, you know, maybe a QB has to take some hits and he doesn't mind that that aspect's really dangerous uh, it, when it can't be in the long run and it could set up for something. You know, people would compare to Andrew Luck, who the wear and tear wears on him. I'm just curious what you guys think about that, and when you guys discuss that concept, the the, the long haul nature, and, and obviously you guys done a lot to fix it this off season, so that's not going to hopefully happen again. I'm sure you think, but how how tough was that to kind of manage to manage that, and what did you think? What do you think about that type of um, uh, criticism? Well, we have to do a better job protecting him, number one. I mean, and that's that's crystal clear, and I don't think anybody runs from that. Um, and, and during the course of the season, we, we try to manage that as best we can. You know, it's, you're in the middle of the season, and you're going to try to game plan and put guys in position to help and get the ball out and prevent some of those hits. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot you can say. We're still a really young offense. You know, this isn't a veteran group in the sense that they played together for a long time. You know, you look at all the pieces that – have now changed up front um, that we think is really going to help us. You look at all the different position groups, these guys, probably not anybody I've played to longer than two years together, you know? Um, and so you just look at some, some other offenses around the league and some teams that have been really successful for a long time in offense. Those guys have played together for a long time. It's where they've gotten things really greased up and moving. And that's where we expect to be. And that doesn't excuse hits and sacks and all that kind of stuff, but we're just really excited about what we think the potential can be and, and we can reduce those numbers, you know, in a big way. Um, and that's going to take all the guys, the guys up front, the receivers getting open, Joe doing a great job playing on time and, and, and understanding when to take a hit and when to just move on to the next down. And there's a lot of things that factor into that, that um, I'm excited. And I think that we'll improve upon next year. I would say our first priority all the time, getting ready for a game is uh, what's the best way to protect the quarterback. Uh, whether it's the protection plan versus the blitz team we're facing, uh, whether it's what rusher are we facing, how much can we help, where do we need to help, um, that's that's pretty much where the game plan starts. And so uh, if the criticism is that we've 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 allowed too many hits. Trust me, it's not for for lack of effort trying to avoid them. Um, <laughs> it's not like we're just going in there and going, yeah, hey, it's, hey, yeah, he's going to get hit. He's fine. You know, it's, you know, we're we're trying our best to, to eliminate. Uh, all the potential ways that, that those, those hits come. And um, it's, it's an offensive, uh, it's a collective effort as a whole. I mean, it's, it, it counts on everybody doing their job. And uh, part, of, but part of what we do every week is, is try to find a way to, which way to take out their best pass rushers and minimize their impact and how to protect against or protect the, the blitz plan the defense might bring. And uh, protection is always at the forefront uh, of our mind when we're getting ready to play every team uh, on the schedule. Did you, did you grow up, with your dad talking a lot about offensive line with you at all? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I, I, I was a quarterback, so he would talk more about quarterback play yeah. than, than maybe offensive line play. And, and I think it's maybe a little known fact at this point, but my dad was a quarterback. I mean, he was a division three, all American quarterback. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think he enjoyed the quarterback portion of it. But uh, as I got older and got to understand where he's, he definitely would, uh, he would show me all these techniques and he was, all the hand fighting stuff and leverage and he demonstrated on me and half of it was like for him to have like wrestle around and all that and show me all this stuff. But um, <laughs> yeah, and especially as I've gotten more in the NFL, I've, I've asked him questions and, and we've talked a lot about line play just because it's, 
it's one of those positions that that very few people understand uh, how to coach at the level um, to, necessary to be great at it. And, and there's there's probably a, a handful of guys in the league that that are at that level. And obviously, my dad I think is one of them. And uh, he's got such knowledge of how to train that position and develop it that uh, I'd be foolish to not to not talk to him about those types of things at this point. But uh, growing up, we probably talked more about quarterbacks and passing game than we did about offensive line uh, techniques. I was. I was a left tackle for my Pop Warner team. Wow. I was, I was a little bit big for my age at that time. I was like 105 pounds, and the weight limit was like 110 or something. I was a little bit taller than most of my friends. But he tried to give me a three-point stance one day, and I think he just realized that probably wasn't my future. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't last long playing the offensive line, but uh, there was a minute there where maybe he thought that it might happen. But uh, I think we all we both knew better. <laughs> Zach, did you always play quarterback? Did you ever – how much did you play other positions? Just always QB. Never. Never. Yeah, I played quarterback ball. My dad, <clears throat> my dad coached me. Uh, I started playing flag football in third grade, so he coached me third through sixth grade. I played the flag in third, fourth, fifth. Uh, finally, got to play tackle in sixth grade, and he was my coach there. And then you start playing school ball in seventh grade, so he stopped coaching me. But when your dad's the coach, you tend to play quarterback. <laughs> uh, and so, and we even had a rule. <laughs> You know, he was great at this. I'm, I'll be the same way if I get to coach my kids' teams a little bit. But So in flag football in Norman, you can only play quarterback for three quarters. But one of the quarters, somebody else had to play quarterback. So I would just go play receiver, and he'd make the quarterback throw a lateral to him. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that's how we manipulated that system real fast. Uh, so I, I always played quarterback. Um uh, I think I played safety one quarter of my career, and that was in seventh grade because Joey Wyatt skipped class, and so he got suspended for a quarter. And so I had to go in there and play safety for uh, for one quarter. But, I mean, my senior high school, they didn't even – you know, we, we didn't have a ton of guys on our team. And so everybody practiced at least both ways and usually played both ways, and they just stopped letting me practice at safety. And I just was the varsity quarterback and the JV quarterback, you know, for the entire of the practice, never flipped over to defense. So, um didn't get a lot of action over there on that side of the ball. <laughs> As someone who spent my whole life looking for loopholes, I I, I love I totally respect that. <laughs> uh, I I did want to. How much do you guys hang out? I mean, I know like off the field, your families obviously do. I mean, is that it? How much do do you guys still uh, you know hang out off the off the field? Uh, enough, certainly. I mean, we we. I wouldn't say we, we probably don't spend every waking moment off the field like we do in the office, but um, I mean, we were on, on the golf course last night um, <laughs> we tend to like to play golf together. That's sort of our, it's, and I haven't quite played, we've got the pickleball uh, thing lined up the way he does, but um, yeah, I mean, we spend, we spend plenty of social time outside of the building together uh, and, and enjoy it as well. So uh, you can ask him how many times that any time we've bet money on golf, he's won it from me, but I wouldn't want to put him in that spot. So, uh, uh, we well, of course we want to put him in that. It was the next. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to finish so uh, I could I could find out how has that been going for you, Zach? I paid for dinner last night. Okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's only when I leave the office, I'm doing one of three things: I'm going home and hanging out with the kids. I'm going to play golf with Brian, or I'm playing pickle or tennis. You know, which which Brian plays some pickle too. So. Um, you know, he, he crosses over on one of those three activities and, and that's all that I do. So, uh, that's, I think Brian is my social circle. <laughs> that's pretty much the extent of it when I leave the office. Uh, I have a little 
It's a very small little game uh, here for you guys. It's just most likely to. Who who's most likely in this uh, of these between the two of you um, will be? I'll have I'll have a thing here, and you guys can say who you think it's who you think the answer is. Who's the most likely between the two of you to uh, text rather than just go down the hall in person to relay really important information? Oh, I, I would say Zach mainly because it's he's usually busier and there's more going on, so he may not have the time. Uh, I think we both do it, but I'd say Zach. Probably. Yeah. I think I'd be more likely to, you just show up on my door right here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I usually would be more often text. Who is most likely to want to run a double res- reverse wide receiver pass on fourth and two? <laughs> on what down? Fourth and two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think that really pertains to either one of us, but. Fourth Trust and eight, me, does that help? Play. I mean, does it help if we make it a, a more challenging down? I think it's a bad example of a play. Um, <laughs> so a, 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 a trick play. Should I just call it random trick play? Trick play on an important down? Does that work better? It, it, there, there's just situations where he is steadfast on these. This, you got to call this play. And I'm like, I'm never calling that play. And I, and I probably I fall in love with some plays. And he's like, by the way, that play you love has never worked for us. Ever. <laughs> uh, so why would you do that? And so it, it, that's there's a couple of those that I know we're both on the same page on. And yeah. uh, one of them scored a touchdown to Brian's defense. One of them scored a touchdown this year uh, that I'd, I'd fought for a couple of years now. And, and it worked this year. So Can we find what it, yeah, what, are we allowed to divulge that play? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> you won't even, even let us divulge it. It was in a divisional game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love it. Um, let's see. So uh, who's, let's see, most most likely to collude with the draw to win a staff-wide pickleball tournament? Oh, man. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Here we go. There's nobody, there there's nobody that wants to win. There it is. <laughs> Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. There's, cool. there's no one. I'll say this: there's a just like we're, we're all very competitive people. At the end of the day, um, there's not a golf a golf outing that goes by without uh, money being put on the line and usually being doubled down at some point. Um, there's not there's not an event anywhere that that ne- neither one of us wants to win. Uh, Zach tends to win quite a few of them, especially the pickleball. <laughs> it helps when you get to choose your partner. Um, and everyone else gets drafted. I usually, that's a, you know, everyone else is random except for the guy running the program. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's the competitiveness. Never, never, any chance there is to compete, we usually find a way to do it. It's really kind of like the professional equivalent of the fourth quarter lateral to the so you can throw the ball as a quarterback at a receiver position. I really, it's kind of, it's it's in line with that. But congratulations on your title. Yeah, if, if we had, the, I'd be, I'd be in a pickleball league. I'd be in a. I, if we had the time to do it, man, it's just you. You crave that competition. That's why we coach. We're not good enough to physically do it on the football field, so you coach to get that. But um, trust me, I mean, it's, it's. Uh, I'd be doing home run derbies if, if someone would put together a league. I, I'd be in there in my neighborhood if it was convenient to my time schedule. But uh, <laughs> gotta find ways to compete. Because uh, we're, uh, we're, we're in that time of year. Which one of you is? most likely to forget to wish the other one a happy birthday. Oh, I'd never wish anybody a happy birthday. So <laughs> I, I refuse. You're never getting that text from me. You're never I, I just, if you text me, forget about a response. You're not getting a response from me. On that. <laughs> you refuse to acknowledge birthdays. Uh, just, just in general, like, 
I get Don't it. Give me short We're grown adults. Yeah. We're grown yeah. adults. Do we really need to like be celebrating our birthdays anymore? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate well, that's it. That's just information I have to have. Please don't text me. Yeah. <laughs> don't make me respond to something. I can't <laughs> wait to your birthday next year now. What if it's comical now? Like that, I feel like that makes it okay. Uh, I feel like that makes it okay. <laughs> Uh, uh, guys, I really appreciate your time. Uh, you didn't have to do this, and you did. I hope yeah. it was fun, and uh, and uh, it's been great. I hope people have a better understanding of uh, the, the both of you guys and uh, and your, you know, the way you guys have worked together. And it's, it's this has been a good conversation. I appreciate you guys taking some time to join us. Yeah, but thanks. Yeah, guys. thank you so much, guys. Thank y'all. Have a good one. All right, deep exhale, Jay. There we, that was fun. <laughs> It's great. That was fun. Uh, I, you know, I just, it's, it's great to try to bring people in to see the dynamics between. And I think that perfectly encapsulated kind of what we want this series to be. And that is really kind of seeing the dynamics between two people and, uh, and getting to know them better at the same time and, uh, and, and learned a lot. And, and there, there's just, I knew the pickleball trophy was going to come out. Like I knew <laughs> I, 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 I thought like I'd made a joke about it before we did the show. And I, but I, and I was like, will he actually pull a trophy out? And I, of course, Oh yes. The man's competitive now. The man's right. competitive. Has a nice trophy. Yeah. It's a nice. Got to show it off. It doesn't matter what kind of collusion occurred. Uh, so <laughs> that was a fun episode. Hope everybody enjoyed it. We certainly thank Zach and, Brian again for sharing their time with us. Uh, let's fast forward and promo next week as we uh, go forward two on two here. And uh, I, I really like this one. We are going to bring in Bengals quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher and Bengals football data analyst Sam Francis. And you might be thinking, what? Are, how do those two connect? Why? Why are we talking about these two? Well, beyond just both being from the Northeast. Uh, they basically were on the ground floor of the creation with Zach Taylor of what is game situational analytics. What is that going to look like for us as a Cincinnati Bengals franchise back in 2019? Uh, you know, pitch took on the game management role uh, as also an assistant quarterbacks coach. And Sam Francis was just showed up in March and he was there. One of their members of their analytics department and they, Started cranking. He was just a young kid out of out of Bates College, a uh, young kid, <laughs> and uh, and so that discussion alone is fascinating. Just that, and then you bring in their relationship and then how it has continued on and uh, throughout the course of their time together. Another fun one that we're really excited to bring to you. Yeah, and, and obviously Zach and Brian at, at kind of the, the the tip of the spear of this organization, but. Some of you may not know Sam and Pitch as well, but it's they're they're so interesting to listen to because beyond just their football knowledge, they are they are two, maybe two of the sharpest guys on staff. And you know, Pitch is one of a several guys that has a has a master's degree, and and Sam double majored in math and economics. I mean, it's not the type of things you you typically hear on a coaching staff, and they they are they are they're terrific uh, making the 
sometimes hard to understand word, world of analytics, relatable to the fans, relatable to us, relate, relatable to, to the listeners. It's, it's, I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one too. And relatable to the coaching staff, which is a yes. very important part of their job and what I think has helped make that click. All of that coming next week as we go forward in the series. Really, really excited about that to bring you Dan Pitcher and Sam Francis. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. We will uh, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody. Mm-hmm.